From our nation's capital, this is Naps Chat. I'm gonna sit right down and write myself a letter and make believe again from you. Hi, this is Bob Levy, the Legislative and Political Director for the National Association of Postal Supervisors, and welcome to this week's edition of Naps Chat. We are indeed privileged to have with us today our president, Brian Wagner. Welcome to Naps Chat, Brian. Thanks for inviting me, Bob. Yeah, you haven't been here for quite some time, so we welcome you back to the uh, Crystal Gateway to Naps membership through our podcast. Well, it's kind of normal. I'm with Ivan and Chuck, so I'm going solo this week, so I appreciate the opportunity to address the membership. That is wonderful, and they, I am sure, are looking forward to hearing from you. Let's start with some late-breaking news. On the day in which Congress returned from its Memorial Day break, that was Tuesday, May 26th, the chairman of the House Oversight and Reform Committee, Carolyn Maloney, along with Congressman Peter King and Congressman Jerry Connolly, introduced a bipartisan bill known as the Postal Preservation Act, H.R. 7015. These include provisions that were already included in H.R. 6800, the HEROES Act, but that legislation did not receive bipartisan support. In fact, it had a just one Republican voting in favor of it, and that was Peter King. It was voted upon and approved by a 208 to 199 majority, but not a bipartisan majority. It is the hope that this legislation, which uh, is now currently recruiting co-sponsors, will garner overwhelming bipartisan support and in that way influence members of the Senate leadership to include postal pandemic-related emergency relief in the COVID-19 legislation currently being drafted in the United States Senate. So tell me, Brian, along with our executive vice president, Ivan Butts, and the legislative team, what do we intend to do to sort of encourage our members to engage and to recruit folks, particularly members in the Senate, to support postal relief legislation? Like always, Bob, um, we encourage our members to reach out to their congressional leaders and senators in their local districts to uh have, have them ask for the co-sponsorship, the support of such legislation that is definitely necessary for the Postal Service at this time. Now I want to turn to something more parochial to the National Association of Postal Supervisors, and that is our biennial convention, which was scheduled to take place in mid-August this year. As our members know, the convention has been postponed for a year due to the pandemic. Could you share some relevant and important information that our members ought to know about the rescheduling of the convention and how they should approach this? Thanks, Bob. You know, I know the members would have loved to have our traditional biennial convention this August. We were all set. We had a lot of plans, very excited about what was coming up. But we understand that the safety and the health of our members, our guests, our auxiliary the delegates is very important and that we do not want to risk with this current pandemic uh, their their livelihoods. So the board unanimous or the board voted to postpone the convention until next August 2021, which we have a lot of things in place. So it's really the transition is going pretty good. The idea is this those who have already had their rooms reserved for this August of 2020 we were able to work with our conference planner, Sherry Davies. We were able to have the hotel automatically cancel those rooms. So 
delegates don't have to worry about that if they already had a room. We will be putting on the new uh, hotel reservation link at the end of July. One of the other things that we're doing is we're working with the registration as already back on the website. So those who want to register as a convention delegate, you can go on. Nothing has changed. If you were pre-registered, already registered, that's fine. Nothing has changed. If you bought the meal plan ticket in advance or the an extra grand banquet ticket, that is the same. Nothing has changed. If you plan to go, go with the status quo. There's nothing you need to do. The ob- object here is that now members have over a year to really get in their registrations for the national convention. We are working with the hotel. NAPS is taking some very key ideas to protect the safety of our members, with which we don't know what this COVID pandemic is going to be in the next year. But we are going to be doing social distancing and spacing at the convention floor, moving the, the chairs wider apart. Our food functions will probably more of sit down or grab and go. We're going to get away from the buffet styles. We will have hand sanitizer stations. We are going to have bottled water instead of water coolers. The hotel is doing uh, extensive disinfecting and hospital style or grade disinfecting. They are doing more partitions, uh, moving furniture, distancing. So we're taking a lot of steps to make sure that the safety and health of the members and the delegates and the guests are all taken care of. To appreciate the significance of the change, How many delegates do we usually have at a national convention? We usually have about 1,200 delegates. And then when you include auxiliary and guests, we're up to about almost 1,400. So that is a big number. So to engage or to sort of physically orchestrate this physical distancing is going to is is going to involve a considerable amount of work on the part of the hotels and our planners because to establish the distancing, water coolers, refreshments— use of the facilities are all complications that really could not have been done within the short period of time between, let's say, now and August. That would have been insurmountable, possibly. It would have been a very big challenge. It's not that we couldn't get get it done, but one of the things is the unknown of what August would have brought really made it the best decision to postpone until next year. And with that, we have the space. There's plenty of space at the Texas, uh, the Gaylord Texan Resort. Uh, we'll just be using more of it. We were, you know, everybody was kind of like maybe six people to a table. Now they're going to be like three people to a table, and we're going to spread it out. So we'll make it as comfortable as possible, and we are looking at having masks available for those who wish to wear them. It won't be mandatory, but it's going to be a personal preference. But we will make sure that there is an opportunity for people to have masks if they so wish. But also, if the convention would have occurred this year, we would also have to deal with the complications of transport, because people would have to transport themselves from wherever in the country they might be to the convention site via most people by aircraft. And that raises its own issues, particularly in August, which is only two months away. Very, that's correct, Bob. Very challenging with the way the airlines have really been, I'll say, devastated in, in their business, and they've cut back on flights. The challenge of even getting delegates to the convention, you know, some were planning on driving, but you've got some coming from, you know, the Northeast all the way from California. It's been a, been a 
very big challenge. Yeah, I think we, in fact, talked about whether or not I would drive there and how long it would take me to drive from the Washington, D.C. area down to Dallas or to Grapevine, Texas. And we were talking about not hours, but in terms of days. Yeah. Well, yes, you would, the good old uh, conversion vans that you would probably be leasing. But it was the right decision to, to move the convention to next year. But, yes, the logistics of getting the delegates there would have been the biggest challenge. And it's a great national convention experience for anybody who's come, whether you're uh, a veteran of the convention or a first-timer. And having a smaller group, it would have it would have taken uh, probably away from the convention experience. So we don't want members to have that uh, feeling of they missed out. So they just have to wait a little longer, but it will be worth the wait. Because one of the tremendous attributes of a convention or even branch meetings or you know state meetings is the opportunity to interact with one another. And that ability to interact would have been undermined by our fear of what could happen. Correct. And those are the things that by next year, next August, will be hopefully this new norm of how we do social distancing. We'll still be able to have the interaction that we've always had, the vibrant debates on the convention floor. But the idea is want to make sure that members feel comfortable when they go. And again, the handshaking, the hugging, we know our our members are very passionate about their friendships with one another. Maybe, you know, it's elbow to elbow, but uh, we just want to encourage everybody to, to, to do the social distancing and things. And one of the things I, I want to quickly mention, Bob, you know, we have already selected our uh, national convention committees. They were already done. That has not changed either. Those who were selected for the committees will remain unless they choose they don't want to be on a committee or they can't make it next year. Then we'll go to the alternate route of picking a, an alternate, of course. But at this point in time, those who were selected will remain on the committees for next year. Let me talk about uh, the 1,000-pound elephant in the room. There were internal changes that have to be, we had to adjust to the situation that there was a requirement – let's say, to have biennial elections for national officers. And that can only be done, as I understand it, at our convention. So what is happening in terms of national officers elected, folks that are necessarily elected at our conventions? Well, we have the best national parliamentarian in the country, Dr. Bruce Bishop, and the executive board when we were going over the whole uh, voting on moving the convention. Dr. Bishop was online, and he explained the procedures that because a convention was where we have our elections and because the convention now is postponed, all the officers, duly elected officers now, would just remain. Their, their terms are extended till the next convention the election or in case there's a vacancy. As long as the candidates are willing and able to continue in their in their positions, that's it's just a status quo. We just extended our terms by constitution and those are the things that would happen. So at this point in time, all the uh, officers are extended their terms until next August until we have the election. Let's pivot a little bit off the convention and let's talk about I think the number two project, I think the immediate project that we have to deal with, we're going to have a new postmaster general in less than a month, probably around two weeks from now, Mr. DeJoy, Louis DeJoy. And tell me how you're preparing for the arrival of a new postmaster general. Well, 
that's an interesting question because this will be the first time of a new postmaster general that I, as national president of NAPS, has, has been in office. But knowing when uh, Postmaster General uh, Megan Brennan was leaving, we knew we would be getting a new postmaster general. When that was announced that Mr. DeJoy was becoming our incoming postmaster general, Knapps reached out immediately. We actually sent him a letter, a mid-May congratulatory letter on his unanimous selection to serve as our 75th postmaster general of the United States and, of course, executive officer of the Postal Service. And one of the things is Knapps is very receptive to change. And we do look forward to building a positive business relationship with our new PMG and his postal leadership team. I mean, it's going to be through honest and direct, regular dialogue. You know, uh, my goal is to ensure that the incoming postmaster general, you know, that let him know that NAPS is a first class, no pun intended, professional management association, and that NAPS is an asset and a resource for the Postal Service in seeking smart business solutions to ensure the success of the post office, not even to just, not just today, tomorrow, but well into the future. And again, it's keeping an open mind, making sure the po- new postmaster general knows that NAPS is here as a resource. We are an asset as the previous postmaster general or the current postmaster general, Megan Brennan, and her leadership team always considered NAPS part of the leadership team itself. We hope that continues. Last week, I had on NAPS chat Bill McAllister, and we were recounting the hiring and onboarding of former Postmaster General Marvin Runyon back in 1992. And Brian, I remember speaking with you about this around a week and a half ago as I was preparing for that interview. And I went to an old issue of the Postal Supervisors magazine and from 1992 when Ruby Handelman invited Marvin Runyon to address NAPS at the first opportunity, only probably a number of weeks after he assumed the position. How would you suggest to the new Postmaster General to communicate with NAPS members? Wow, that's a very good question, Bob. I mean— And and the only reason I ask that is because I recall in 92, you know, for all his faults, uh, Runyon, he brought the association's in as part of the leadership team. And I think that was probably the first time that happened. And a number of people in postal headquarters were dismissive of that approach and looked down on that. So that's the reason why I'm asking that question. Well, I can tell you this. From the postmaster general's office, the incoming postmaster general, Mr. Joy's office has already reached out to me. We are planning a uh, introductory telephone uh, conversation or um, uh, coming up the first part of June. Looking forward to that. Uh, how the uh, Postmaster General will uh, reach out to the membership and message. All I can say is it's probably going to be very positive. Again, the idea is to look for where the direction this new Postmaster General wants to take the Postal Service and have an understanding of his direction of the Post Office and how we work together as a team. I was part of the 1992 restructure when Marvin Runyon came in. And the thing is, you know, people always get concerned about a new change in postmaster generals, what's going to happen in, in structure of the organization. I think we need to keep an open mind, give the benefit of the doubt of let's move forward, let's be positive, let's look at what we can do to make the organization as the Postal Service better. There will always be change, and I think the NAPS members are always quick to adapt to change. You're seeing that now with this COVID pandemic pandemic. 
our members have done an outstanding job and the postal employees are, you know, are definitely heroes in what they're doing. And uh, I think that's going to be recognized by postal leadership coming in. And in all honesty, it should be because the postal employees, especially our NAPS members, our EAS, are doing an outstanding job making sure we're delivering every day to the American public. One of the things that we always look for when a new CEO comes into a corporate environment, or in this case, a new postmaster general, is who he chooses as part of the leadership team or the transition team. And one of the items I discussed with Bill McAllister, who at that time was the Washington Post correspondent covering the Postal Service in 92, was that he assembled a team for the most part that did not include those who preceded him in the position, that I'm not quite sure to, because Tony Frank, who preceded him, did not stick around, as far as we can tell, that he, who we consulted with. In this case, the current Postmaster General, Megan Brennan, is still on board. The incoming Postmaster General, though, hasn't been hired yet. I would assume they're communicating right now, because if the past is any indication of how these transitions take place, this should be a fairly seamless transition. Do you suspect that? I, I do. Actually, I did get a call from Megan Brennan. Um, we actually had a nice conversation. I wished her all the best in her upcoming retirement. Um, and she's been in contact with the new uh, Postmaster General and had so uh, very favorable comments and, you know, said, you're really looking forward to working with him and the transition, you know, uh, of him coming in as the new Postmaster General. So I think it's a, a positive that you have a smooth transition with what's been going on. And again, it's like what I talked about earlier is just for NAPS with dialoguing with the new Postmaster General is with direct and honest dialogue. You know, NAPS has always been a proponent of, um, you know, vote by mail, postal banking. And, and that hasn't changed. We've, we've had a strong on our legislative efforts on that to make sure that we advocate for those types of things. And that'll still be our message. You know, we want the Postmaster General uh, to know where we stand as an organization and how we believe as an organization that NAPS can help benefit make the post office more successful with the ideas we bring to the table. Do you have any specific recommendations that you would make to the incoming Postmaster General as he starts his tenure? As of right now, until I have an opportunity to really to talk with him, I, you know, if there was anything to keep an open mind that NAPS, again, we have thousands of qualified NAPS members with a lot of experience, resources, knowledge of the operation and encourage to reach out to NAPS to say, hey, look, who do you have as a, we'll call it a subject matter expert to help with any transition, maybe any potential changes that may occur in the post office with this new incoming postmaster general and his leadership team to just reach out to us. I mean, our members are anxious always to be able to provide solutions because that's what we're here for, to provide solutions, recommendations, and be part of the solutions. With that, I have to ask you this question. What is the ice cream flavor of the day? I've been hooked on this one. I'm very excited. Salted caramel pretzel. Salted caramel, caramel pretzel. pretzel. 
So if you are high cholesterol and you have high blood pressure, this is probably an ice cream you want to stay away from. Maybe that's why I like it so much. <laughs> With that, thank you for joining us this week, uh, Brian. And until next week. I'm going to-